Hello and welcome to Wonderful. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. Wonderful is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even, you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere. But if you've got a bit of time, and let's face it, we've all got a bit of time, let's boot up and head out into the street. So hello there, Wanderellas, Wanderfellas. Welcome to this, the omnibus edition of the fifth season of Wonderful. Yeah, you thought the fifth season was over and that all the joy uh, was curtailed until the autumn, but you were wrong uh, because we have an omnibus edition which is made up of some of the best bits that we couldn't stick in to the episodes that you've heard. When I think of Andrew, I think, think, think about the internet. Here's the thing about the internet. The internet obviously has its problems, but what I like is the way sort of you come across things, you stumble across things, a little bit like you would on a street wisdom walk, which you wouldn't otherwise have seen. And one example of that is an article I saw, a little film actually, about an artist. And this artist is called Ray Matteson. And you may know his work. He was a, he was a, he's a long-term prisoner in an American penitentiary who passed the time, stopped himself going nuts, would uh, make, he taught himself embroidery, got a needle from a guard, and over 15 years made these exquisite um, pictures of life outside the prison walls using uh, wool uh, uh, rescued from prisoners' socks. So he took these small strands of wool and turned them into something beautiful. And that's how I think about Andrew Payne. He's not a prisoner exactly. We do let him out of the studio from time to time, but he has meticulously poured through the, the fragments, the shards, the sweepings, if you like, the, the lovely golden twinkly bits that we couldn't put in to the previous episodes and woven them into this uh, glorious omnibus edition. Thank you, Andrew. Omnibus, what a lovely word. Omnibus, you know, I often think the word bus comes from the word omnibus and omnibus means, Andrew means in Latin, for everyone is exactly right. Exactly right. Hey, I digress. Actually, you know what? I digress. Would Maybe you can put that on my gravestone. What about that? Eli's David Pell. I digress. He digresses. Anyway, um, I'm not at the gravestone yet, uh, but uh, we are in a period of life which I have now learned, thanks to my first guest. We're going to go back and listen to Libby Delana, the wonderful Libby Delana. We're going to... We're going to uh, Andrew suggests that we... We, we, we stroll through this omnibus in the order that we heard the episodes originally. So we'll begin with Libby Delana, the wonderful Libby Delana, who has walked around the earth early, in her early morning's walks, early morning walks. Actually, we'll put the actual name of her walks into the, into the show notes because I'm not sure I got that right. But she's wonderful. And um, as you'll hear, when I asked her you know, about how she sees where she is in life. She said a wonderful thing. She says, I'm in the hell yeah chapter. So I'm going to use that and I suggest you do too. So let's begin with a wonderful human being who's in the hell yeah chapter of her life. (laughs) 
how would you, when someone goes, who are you, Libby? You bump into somebody walking along the, the pebble beach in the morning. What on earth do you say? Well, what a, an interesting question, quite honestly. I don't know the answer to that. I think that's <laughs> the, I think, um, I don't know, at age 60, I don't think there is an easy answer. I hope there is an easy answer no. and I'm still exploring. And that's, yeah. that's the thing about a wander, a walk is we walk into different places and we become one thing and we walk out of that place and we become something else. So I suppose when I get up in the morning and lace up my shoes and go for a walk, I'm a walker. I suppose <laughs> as I walk into the cold, cold, icy water, I'm a mermaid, which is what we all call ourselves. So <laughs> I don't I don't have any idea what I am other than to say um, I'm in this chapter of my life, as I said, at age 60, which I call the hell yes chapter, which yeah. means, quite honestly, I'll try and do anything, e even yeah. the stuff that really scares me. <laughs> yeah. And I've done a lot of that recently. And um, I don't know. I think it for me, it's what makes life really um, bright and shiny and vibrant. And um, I'm a big believer in the beginner's mind. So starting things is terrifying and wonderful and interesting. So mm. am I a beginner? I'm a beginner at everything, I think is where I, I'm a 60 year old beginner at everything. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It occurred to me actually that if I, if I were to meet you, the question would not be Libby, what are you, what do you do? But Libby, what are you doing? Because you're very, it sounds like it's contextual, it changes hour to hour. It's about what you're doing at the time, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, in many, I feel very fortunate and privileged to make be able to make the decision about what I'm doing at any mm. given moment, right? Mm, I, mm. Um, I do have the freedom at this point in my life. And so, um, yeah, I don't take that for granted. It's an incredible time in life. <laughs> Let's time travel back. Was there a time when Libby didn't think this way? What about the younger Libby? Was there a different type of person? I imagine you don't get to do the stuff you've done without going, you know, being, you've got clearly a commercial entrepreneurial streak in you. How were you different when you were younger? Well, it's interesting. I actually think when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I was exactly the same. And I think yeah. what I've done in this part in life is actually tap into that person, <laughs> that little girl, mm. Mm. and um, sort of host some of the things that were more meaningful and vibrant for me. And that mm. maybe in those middle years, I um, attended to, um, I don't know, let's call them some societal expectations yeah. of this and that. I think I believed in this sort of definition, this na very narrow definition of success. I think what's happened is that that definition of um, and when I mean success, I don't mean financially or even professionally. What I mean is just walking through the world with um, a sense of uh, a place, honestly, uh, within the cultural norms. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what's happened at the end of, you know, sort of this, the end of this part of my chapter in life is I've tapped back into the earlier part, which is I think when I'm 13, I was like, wow, the definition of of life was grand and big and exciting yeah. and it got narrow in those middle years. Um, I believe the cultural stories and now I'm shedding all those again. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I think, um, you know, tapping into those earlier years is uh, something that 
I'm consciously really trying to do what makes me happiest. There she is, Libby Dinana. We salute you as you walk and as you bathe in sub-zero water, Libby, rather you than me, but uh, we say hell yeah as you pass. Thank you, thank you for being with us. One of the things I'm saying hell yeah to a little bit more these days than I used to is marching. Yes, I do a lot of time, spend a lot of time on the streets walking, but, but basically marching. Protesting, I guess, is what you call it. Um, it's not the only thing, the only way I think that you can make your voice heard, but it's certainly a way. And as part of the things that I do, I find it, I find it really um, uplifting to be in synchrony with other people, marching to similar step, same step with similar values. And um, did that recently. There was a thing called the Big One in London Town, which was a, a kind of a sort of combination of 200 different organizations who, who want uh, to save the planet. Strange idea that that is. And it was a very enjoyable, genial day. I went around dressed as a bird, and it was great. I, um, our next guest, Tom, who is a, uh, uh, an honored collaborator and friend, um, is a musician and um, a striking man with uh, extraordinary headgear. Um, and he tells in his, this little fragment we're gonna hear now about um, a, a less than pleasant, less than festive brush he had with a law that in England is less and less uh, content that we express our views openly in the streets. It's interesting, it's, 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 a, it's a chastening tale, but one he comes out of with uh, you know, characteristic dignity and wisdom. Take a listen. Um, I, in this irreverence justified or in this standing out, there's an aspect, there's a darker aspect to it in that I was driving my you know, somewhat customized car to uh, a business event. It's called um, uh, ah, Confex. Confex is a big, thing it was in the city it was uh, excel and it's where all people who do corporate events get together it's, it's an annual thing huge you know i'd hired a stand on there i was presenting where most years i just go and walk around talking to people but i'd hired a stand um i got stopped by the police 20 minutes from the venue they called me over they said we've We've got to check your car over where are you going and i showed them on my phone i said I'm going to Confex. Here's my paperwork. Here's my, here's proof of my booked parking. Here I am on the website. Here's my own website, TomMorley.com. Here I am. Oh yeah. Oh, Squirty Politi. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like your later stuff, but John over there, he likes your earlier stuff. Oh, hey, John. John. Songs to remember. Tom. Tom the drummer. Anyway, we're going to have to nick you, mate, because and I go why? Well. Uh, no, your card's actually all right. Um, we've given it a good check over, but um, we think you're about to cause a nuisance with Extinction Rebellion. Right? I said, but look, I'm going to <laughs> Confex. It's all here. Look. which And they said, well, you're in a process now, mate. Um, we'll tell it to the uh, people at Charing Cross. You know, it's out of our hands now. So they, they handcuffed me. Took me to Charing Cross Station. They put me in a cell for 12 hours. Um, they um, 
But anyway, they they kept my drum. They broke my drum. Uh, gave it back two months later, broke broken, and said, "Oh, we'll give you an insurance form." They confiscated my two laptops, took my keys, came to our home here, searched my home, dorm was away. And they, uh, this is the funniest thing, right? They, I, when they stopped me, I texted ahead on Facebook to uh, uh, people I was sharing the stand with, Confex, and I said, "I've been detained by the police." They think I, I'm a. Uh, uh, they think I'm gonna go and join Extinction Rebellion. Crazy, huh? I'll see you in 20 minutes. They showed me from the laptop that they confiscated from my studio here a cropped version of that, saying, "I'm going to support Extinction Rebellion. See you in 20 minutes." So they said, "What do you think about that, Mr. Morley?" <laughs> I said, "Well, just check with the people." I sent it to. Well, we will do that. So, but so my um, but the the interesting thing is, I I couldn't afford a, a lawyer to fight them, or I could, couldn't afford the best. I got the best lawyer to fight the police, a guy called Jules Carey, and he said, "Well, why don't you put it fund it on uh, Crowd Justice, which is a website like a collection." And um, yesterday we just reached our target in a month, fifteen grand. Now that fifteen grand to fund fighting the police for unlawful arrest is from people. I think we got over six hundred pledges saying, "I'm unemployed, mate, but um, this is important." So I'm adding five pound or people. And and one client said, luckily he said um, he's remaining nameless. He said, if you don't get to the 15, let me know on the last day. So we got to about nearly 14, and he just made it up to 15. So so for me, it was a bit like, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life. You go out like, like the hero in a wonderful life. He goes out, he helps this person, he helps that person, he helps that person, and it, it's all generosity of spirit. And yet when he's about to have his home repossessed and all the bad people are going to come and get in. All those people, they come in and they go, oh, here's all the tips from my show. Here's all the, oh, I heard you're in trouble. Oh, no, no, no. And they just pour all the money on the table. Right? Yeah, so for me, it was a bit like an experience of that. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because it wasn't like, well, what it, uh, I, I think what it was was a confirmation of being serendipitous, being mischievous, being, you know, trusting somehow it's going to work out just as long as I'd stay true to the groove. Um, then 15 grand a month from people who really wanted to give it. All the messages on that crowd justice are, thanks for standing up for us, mate. This has got to stop. You know, it's, you know, what did the Clash sing? You know, I fought the law and the law won. It's, you know, I'd love to remix that, you know. <laughs> I fought the law and the people won. It's not me winning, it's the yeah. people. Yeah. So we we got to stand up for our eroding rights to, you. I mean, you were talking earlier about marching down the street or grooving down the street with, 10,000 other people thinking, yeah, we're part of something here. Um, 
So thank you, Tom, for that uh, salutary tale. Oh, thank you, Bird, for joining in. That's keen to get on the keen to get on the podcast. Now, if I was more of a nature boy, Andrew, I would know what that bird was. I tell you what, it isn't. A, it's it's a it's a robin. Yeah. Well, what would you know about it, listeners? If you know what that bird is, then please uh, write in and tell us. Um, Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for that salutary tale. Thank you for grooving your groove the way you do. It's, it's an inspiration. And just to remember, you know, I think the underlying message is stay awake, stay aware. The cop, as, as Augusta Boal, the great theatre innovator, said, is the cop is in your head. So, yeah, there are, there are legal restrictions increasingly to what one can say, but really often we, we edit ourselves. And so that's something to think about. Um, Moaning about the way of the world is, uh, let's face it, a delicious pastime and something, of a, there's been a long tradition of it, how the world could be better. It's, it's, uh, it's an um, endlessly seductive and, and sometimes productive pastime and nowhere better than in the cafes of Vienna, which have for probably centuries been a place where People have got together to grouse and imagine and complain and create. Um, that's where we're going next in the company of the wonderful Philip Blom, journalist, historian, eco-historian and, and, and friend. Um, I had a fantastic few days with him, uh, yakking away over, over, over cooling coffee. And I couldn't help wondering if you dialed back we had a time machine and were able to dial back to the sort of the, the turn of the 19th to 20th centuries and, and been in a cafe in Vienna, looked over. It's not impossible that you might have seen you know, Sigmund Freud sharing a table. Someone walks in, turns out to be the young Adolf Hitler. How the world would, might have been different if they had shared a table and a strudel at the right time. Ah, anyway, back to Philip, who's an habitué of some of the most wonderful sort of slightly decrepit old cafes in, in uh, Vienna. And uh, he starts by sharing the joys of, of the Viennese cafe. And we, of course, then segue, thanks to Andrew's skill with the editing scissors, into a little bit of complaining about the world and how it could and should be a better place. The secret and charm of a cafe is that it is a terrible business model. Um, there is, you know, most of the coffee served in these cafes is pretty bad. You'd really, if you want a decent cup of coffee, then go to a Starbucks. But um, the coffee you buy, which is not only bad, but also quite dear, um, it's in fact not a cup of coffee. It's an entrance ticket. It's rental, yes, exactly. exactly. And it entitles you to sit there for as long as you want. And you don't have to consume anything else if you don't choose. And the unwritten law is that no waiter will shoo you out or start um, polishing the table or tell you that it's reserved now. No. That is the unwritten rule. And that means, of course, that things can develop. And you can sit there and watch people, and you can sit there and read a novel, and you can sit there and write a novel. Or your diary, or talk about a film project, or, you know, slag off your girlfriends, (laughs) or whatever you want to do. But... um, Look, this is such a luxury in, in a world like today's that 
all of a sudden you're not on the clock. Um, and there's time. Yeah. And that's a very extraordinary thing. Yeah. And, you know, a cafe, it's not a place to drink coffee. It's a place to go and be. We need people to show us, or at best we need to be people who show and to help show how we could live, what another society could look like. You know, also how perverse the world is we live in at the moment. You know, a world where no one of us actually wants anything bad to happen. You know, I've never opened a packet of anything and just thought, oh, hooray, let's destroy the rainforest. Um, but a system, of course, in which we're all accomplices of 30 football fields of rainforest being destroyed every minute, of 88 billion animals being slaughtered every year, of, you know, obscenities, of things that are simply madness, and none of us want this to happen, but, you know, we all sort of are okay with it continuing to happen. Um, and that's simply also a lack of imagination. Ich habe das Wort gefunden, loslassen. Und jetzt müssen wir, weil Andrew ungeduldig wird. Which means, I have found the world and it is word and it is let's go and now we must because Andrew is getting impatient and I'm, I, I you're just looking a little bit impatient Andrew but I guess unlike our readers you're not savoring every bite of this wonderful rich Zachertorte of an omnibus edition or maybe you are or maybe like the chef you've already you, you, because you've spent so much time cooking it that you've lost your appetite anyway stay with us Andrew stay with us wanderistas wanderfellas we're having fun. So moving onwards, um, just to say Philip and I are, the wonderful Philip, thank you for the, your time and your, and your endless coffees. Danke, Philip. Feel, vielen Dank. Um, great to spend time with you and, and, and all of those endless coffees were much appreciated. Philip and I are currently collaborating on a project I can't tell you about, but sh watch this space could be something very interesting. We're, we're collaborating with each other and, oddly, with my next guest. Let's push back a dilapidated Viennese cafe chair and invite Arna Gast uh, to join us. Arna Gast is the kind of guy that uh, you might look up from your, from your strudel and think, now there's a man who knows exactly what he thinks, who's calm, collected, he's sort of man that you walk into, he looks like he's always been in this room somehow. And you'd be wrong because, because yes, he does have a, a calm and collected facade, but behind it, he is a turbine of curiosity, an endless, fretful appetite for learning is what drives him. And he's always uh, turning over, as it were, intellectual stones in his quest for learning. We drop into the conversation with Arna um, at a point where he's talking about an idea that uh, I became familiar with thanks to the writings of my friend Charles Handy. Um, and Arna's got a really interesting take on it. It's the S-curve, the S-curve of life. Take a listen. Yeah, S-curve, 
I think it's coming from the innovation world, right? Where you are, you're riding an S-curve, something starts slow, sometimes it goes down in the beginning, and then the S-curve, if you would plot it horizontally, the slow climb starts, and at the top of the S-curve, you start declining, and it becomes a flatliner, and then it might, it might go down again. So the trick is when you ride the S-curve, what is your next S-curve? What's the next? If you feel that you're on the you're going up, at one moment there's a jump to the next S before you start declining yeah. uh, down again. And I think you can look at, you know, of course, nations, careers, societies, but also at your own S-curve. Are you plateauing or are you jumping on a new one? And one thing that inspires me a lot when I lived in Malaysia, uh, um, our prime minister came back in one of the, the more recent elections. He was 93 at that, at that moment, mm. uh, Tun Mahathir. Uh, and in a way, you know, Biden and, and both Trump and Biden running for president at 79 or 80 year old, in a way, inspires me. Mm. Because in Europe, sometimes we think, you know, with 55, it's pension age and let's, let's fold it. But this idea that we all grow over 100 and the idea that you can become president or prime minister at 93 stretches my imagination of all the work still to be done. And what all you can find in ne- next S-curve you can start. You can start three more careers. Yeah. But it's all about development, stretch, jumping in the in the void again. And where are you on your... <laughs> if we go to it, it's a great idea. It's an image also I've held in my heart since... Uh, it was Charles Handy that introduced me to it the first time. And he has a book actually called The Second Curve, which is exactly what you're talking about. And, and he talks about the discomfort that some of us feel in what others feels like success. So you're at the top of the curve, things are going great. You don't realize it's a curve, you think it's a rising line, but something lets you know, you know what? Now is the time, before the line begins to descend and we run out of energy and we run... Has that happened to you? Is that happening to you? How do you, what is it that lets you know, Mm-mm, I'm on a plateau, have you ever been there? Tell us a bit about your experience of that. The idea that there's a second curve I think is an old world, old idea. There are two curves. Now people also talk books about second mountain. I think it's pretty popular these days. Uh, I'm more thinking like, why not seven mountains or why not, why not seven curves in your life, yeah. right? It's not like the before and after first curve, second curve. No. I'm working now, what is it, 22 years or something in, in our firm and I see that my curve is flattening when I become at ease. When I feel like I got this, I like this, that's the moment this inner voice starts, hmm, let's do another near-death experience, start start anew somewhere. So <laughs> I moved twice to Malaysia, twice to Amsterdam, a little bit bipolar. I love Asia, I love Malaysia, I love Amsterdam, I love Europe. And I've now just settled, they're both great. For a long time I was thinking which is better, but they're both great and I just need the energy. I'm now back in Europe, very purposeful, because this is our piece of the world. This is my kingdom, right? My country where I want to help shift. And I like my friends here and I like the meaning and I like, I know the school where I went to and my friends and the parents of my friends. But a few weeks ago, I was again in Middle East and I got out of the car and it was warm and hot and I was not clear where I was and I had to wait for hours before I could see people. And I was in a room with 200 people I didn't know and and I was like, I'm back. I'm back. I like this unknown a lot too. When it becomes too stable, I'm not that happy and I know I need some, call it ten ten or call it kuifje in Dutch, I need to 
go to places not seen before, start things anew. And maybe it's a little bit a near-death experience. See if you can reinvent and it still holds all together. I'm not, I'm not happy when it's all stable. Yeah, I wonder what's dying. Yeah, I like the de- definition of the ego as being the part of you that thinks it knows who you are. And I think the ego in Anna's mind gets a battering, in a sense, in a good way, right? In a good way. You stop being too certain about who you are. And that, I really get that sense of you've opened the car door, it's warm under your armpits, and you go, I'm back. Not because it's familiar, but because it's unfamiliar. Exactly, that's it. It's unfamiliar, and then I like. Yeah. And that's so, I would say, counter-cultural, you know, with, with the whole podcast idea of wonderful uh, and the whole idea behind street wisdom is get productively lost. Not not go from A to B effectively, efficiently, like we were told. Um, someone described recently the word career as uh, to go fast with, I wrote it down, but basically to go fast with very little control. And it's like to go somewhere fast, but not to not know where you are. So there's a sense of, sense of dynamism, which actually control, I think, is a lot about what education, conventional education is about. So let me let me go back to um, I like that maybe because I was doubting when I used the word education because it sounded to me like control too. Yeah. Maybe you should rebaptize it into discovery or something like yeah. that. Like like a different word that doesn't feel this this I will educate you. I have I have the answer. Yeah. But there's more like there's something you know, there's something I know. We're in the room together and it will pop. You know, street wisdom, we're always saying answers are everywhere. And talking to someone like Anna really confirms that feeling in me, which, which is that learning is an attitude and it's something you can do anywhere, anytime. Um, and for many of us, it starts young. Uh, we often open our show, our improper show, which is an improvised opera show, with a question like, um, what did you learn? What's a piece of advice you were given? Or what did your mum teach you? I'll tell you what my, what I was thinking about that question myself. One thing my mum taught me uh, was you go to my mum and you'd say, um, it really hurts when I do this with my arm. And she'll say, so don't do that with your arm. Quite philosophical. <laughs> She's got a point. It really hurts when I bend over. So don't bend over. Yeah, fair, fair point. Anyway, um, so there's maternal wisdom and then there's a maternal wisdom. Satish Kumar, one of our uh, our, our guests on this on this this season of wonderful uh, extraordinary man uh, educator activist thinker doer incredible man traces a lot of his reverence for the earth that he so cares about back to lessons he learned at his mother's knee uh, she must have been quite a mother take a listen talk about your mother a lot is there something you've always known Satish you've always carried this through life or I've had you moments of enlightenment where you've understood the interconnectedness of things I mean first of all in Indian culture which I learned from my mother of course she was a very wise woman and uh, and so but I learned from Indian culture that whatever you see forest Mountains, animals, humans, birds, insects, earthworms, rivers, whatever you see is divine, is sacred, is 
there's no separation between not only humans and nature, but also there's no separation between God and nature. This is the beauty of Indian philosophy and Indian culture that we see Isha Vashya Midam Sarvam. This is a kind of Upanishad says in Sanskrit, Isha Vashya Midam Sarvam. Everything is God. Everything is divine. Everything is sacred. And that's what I learned from my mother. Mm. My mother was a small farmer, small holder, and she loved nature. She loved plants. She loved clouds. She loved um, water. She loved uh, nature because she says sacred. It's God. There's no. We can say nature or God. It's a, two names of the same uh, eternal truth. Either you can say nature, because nature is all powerful, um, omniscient. Omnipotent, omnipresent, all the qualities of God is also the qualities of nature. So in Indian philosophy, in the Vedas, Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, Jain, Buddhist, Hindu tradition, they all have this one common belief that nature is sacred. And we must treat nature with great reverence, reverence for life, reverence for nature. So this I learned from my childhood, from my mother. So Satish Kumar, what a, what a human. Um, he's so energized and so in a way so sunny and positive. I, I couldn't help asking him in the, in the run up to the interview if he ever got grumpy. Um, and he said he doesn't get grumpy, but he, he did confess to being a little, a, a little exercised by uh, AI, this you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning stuff. And he was saying, you know, Tech is supposed to, you know, serve us, not lead us. And he was, he was, he was concerned about the fact that uh, the world seems to be getting faster and faster, with less and less for us to do. So he, he, he said, you know, basically, if he had a T-shirt, it would probably say, "Stop rushing and start living," which could be, it could be a quote, but it isn't from our next omnibuster, Carl Honore, the the Godfather of, of, and then he said, the Godfather of snow. Yes, he's the Godfather of. He's the godfather of slow. Yeah, he wrote his seminal book on slowing down. And he and I uh, uh, have been, have been uh, teasing each other over cappuccinos ever since. Um, he agreed to be a, our special guest at what was our first live podcast, wasn't it, Andrew? Um, and he wasn't talking about In Praise of Slow, his book, his previous book. He was talking about his, his most recent book, which is the rather fabulous Boulder which is about how we can be bolder as we get older or really make, the, really make the most of our longer lives. It's a really great book. And as he explains here, it has a rather unexpected genesis. The idea from it, like many great ideas, came when he least expected it from something that was, uh, came out of the blue. Take a listen. I think I've discovered somewhere along the line in my writing career that all of my books start with a personal existential crisis, crisis some sort of spark. And, and with Boulder, it was that I was playing in a hockey tournament in the north of England, and my team, who are called the London Jets, we were locked in a nil-nil draw with a rival that we had annihilated the year before, but we just couldn't get that goal. And You're the you London know, Jets. Yeah, I know, it sounds very bold. That sounds great. Sounds yeah. well, t tell us, this, what does the strip look like? Well, it? it's green. Okay. Very, very bold green. Okay. And uh, a stark white. Okay, the London Jets. Yeah. Okay. And this jet, is hockey. With, with some Jets. Okay. Well, because I'm Canadian, right, it's actually 
um, ball hockey, which is a bit like ice hockey without the ice. Right. So you're right. running around on feet. It's the same sport otherwise, right? right? And so we're playing that we couldn't score. So out of nowhere, I scored a, a kind of highlight real goal, right? The kind of goal that I will be relieving on my deathbed with goosebumps many years from now and propelled my team into the semifinals. And I came off thinking, you know, I am the bee's knees, right? I just I was floating on air. And then out of nowhere, one of the tournament organizers sidled up to me and he said, wonderful goal. But you know what? I've just been flicking through player profiles just for fun in between matches, and I noticed that you're the oldest player here. And I knew I was, I mean, I knew I was one of the oldest, right? <laughs> not in denial. <laughs> but to be suddenly the oldest out of 245 players or something, it just completely rocked me. And I, I don't know, I just, I, in the blink of an eye, I went from goal scorer to granddad. And it was, <laughs> I, all these questions began crowding in. I was thinking, well, you know, are people laughing at me behind my back? Do I look out of place here? Uh, should I take up a more age-appropriate pastime, like bingo, maybe? <laughs> and, and I've got nothing against bingo, but I prefer hockey at this stage of my life. And, and I, it was just something, it was like my age took on this terrible power in an instant to define and limit me. And I thought, this can't be right, you know? I'm having fun, I'm playing well. Why, why do I suddenly feel constrained, boxed in? Why do I feel a door is being slammed in my face because of the numbers on my birth certificate? And I came away from that tournament thinking, I need to unspool this somehow, and I could mm. feel a book was coming. Because so, mm. I, I felt there had to be a different and a better story to tell about aging. And it turns out, spoiler alert, that there is. <laughs> Carl's a mild-mannered, thoughtful man, and I just love this wonderful book, Boulder, which is, which is sort of so inspiring and so gentle and compassionate and inclusive, was kind of somehow fed by the inner desire to wrestle large burly hockey players into the into the ground and whack thwack i think is probably the right word a hockey puck into the back of the back of the goal and then sort of victory punch the air um and that's very human isn't it you know we are we are nourished and driven by different things um not just not just us, but the animal kingdom too, by the sound of it. That's certainly true of Holly Cullen Davis, our final omnibus guest, who uh, what is how do you describe Holly? She's a musician, she's an activist, she's a bit of a hero, though she would not accept that uh, uh, title at all. Um, I asked her what uh, what's her internal battery? What 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 gets her up in the morning? How does she spend her day? What what? what nourishes and, and feeds her, her creativity and, and all of her many activities in helping the world be a better place. And here's what she said. In the term time, my, my only really regular thing is that from Monday to Thursday, I run a class for parents with their babies to come and sing in harmony. So it's a very informal choir. It's called Tula Mama. And it wasn't actually, the, the idea wasn't mine. It was set up by a wonderful uh, woman in Totnes in Devon called Helen Yeomans, who I believe started it when she was pregnant with her third or fourth child and thought, hang on a second, there needs to be something for parents to do that's not all about their babies. And so, um, and she, she was, you know, a good singer and a good choir leader. So she set up this informal group in her sitting room for people to come and sing 
in harmony whilst holding their babies or breastfeeding. Um, it's nearly all mums. That's why it's called Tula Mama, although I extend it to dads and partners. Um, so that's my kind of bread and butter. That's the mornings. We do songs from all over the world. Um, and I've added a lot to the repertoire that she initially sent me. And it's just the most lovely thing. It's the best way to start my day. I take the kids to school and I cycle off and then it's like going to the gym, but better, you know, singing is proven to release endorphins in the same way that exercise is. And it's proven to release more endorphins when you're doing it with other people. And I just see these people light up. Now I've been singing all my life and um, I guess it's so normal to me that I don't realize, you know, how much, how important it is because I've been doing it for so long. Um, but, but a lot of these people I think come and they're quite nervous. They haven't sung together maybe since school, uh, maybe ever. And they think a lot of them think they're not going to be able to do it. That's the impression I get. And I quite often, you know, watch them during the class and I think, oh, I wonder if they'll come back because they look quite uncomfortable or they, um, I can tell they're liking it, but I can tell they also don't want to, you know, look me in the eye just in case I <laughs> ask them to do anything. Um, and I, I never ask anybody to do anything uncomfortable or, you know, give them a solo or anything. But um, of course, of course, it's a real mixture. There are people there that are really confident as well. But um, the lovely thing is I often say to people at the end, how did it go? And they surprise me because they say, I loved it. I'm definitely coming back. And I just think, yeah, um, it's been a way of uh, allowing a lot of women, mostly, to refine their voice having had a baby. And that's a really great thing. So there we have it, Wanderellas, Wanderfellas, Omnibusters all. We have, that's the Omnibus, hope you enjoyed it. There's no exercise um, as such, although um, I did have one thought and it comes from somebody that I've come to, come to uh, know of through Holly um, and that's Marcus Decker. And some of you may know that name. He is a climate protester who is currently serving a prison term, a chance for prison, uh, for seeking to alert the world to the imminent dangers that we face. Um, and whatever your thought might be about um, uh, activists, climate activists, pro anti uh, extinction rebellion, so and so forth, one thing that I find endlessly inspiring are the, the, uh, the messages that Marcus sends from prisons, he's been sending for the last uh, many months as he's been um, held on remand. And um, the, you can find him on Instagram. We'll put, the, we'll put the Instagram handle into the show notes. But this morning, as he, as he, as he starts his three-year sentence, his recommendation was gratitude. <laughs> he finds that that's super helpful for him in prison, which is to have an attitude of gratitude and to be grateful for the, the small experiences of life. Um, and I think if he can do it in prison, then we can do it out of prison. Andrew, we, we started as we ended, and who knew that? I started with talking about you, chained to your recording equipment, and there we are again, synchronistically, back where we started. Um, it's been a joy. Thank you very much for listening to us and wandering with us during this season. 
look out for us. We'll be back in, uh, we'll be back in the autumn. And in the meanwhile, uh, have a wonderful life. Andrew, do you think people would like to know we actually have a new website? Wonderfulpodcast.com where people can find all the information about the show and our lovely archive of past episodes. Or should we keep that a secret between ourselves? I mean, we don't want too many people to come. It would crash the internet. <laughs>